Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. Good morning, good morning. If I haven't met you, my name's Chip Freed, the lead teaching pastor here at Garfield Memorial Church. I want to shout out to all of you who are worshiping with us online. Uh, and want to shout out to our South Euclid campus for tuning in with us uh, this morning here at Pepper Pike. It's so good to be together. It was back in September or October, early October, that um, Shannon Geiger and the Geiger family, Shannon came up to me and said, uh, hey Chip, you know, when I lived in Nashville, my pastor down there has this amazing thing. He's, he's doing this video on the Magi. And I said, Shan, you didn't know this, but in December this year, in honor of some, some of our Hispanic and Latin leaders, we're doing our whole Christmas series on the Magi, Dia de los Tres Reyes, and which will celebrate January 6th each year, the Three Kings Day. And so I said, I got one spot open on January 2nd. I know it's the new year and everything, but um, let me go watch the video, make sure, you know, this isn't, you know... Uh, I don't know, uh, prosperity preaching or something. I don't know, something. I got to make sure he's safe, you know? And uh, I, I watched the video. It was so amazing. And I called him up, Andy Reese, our Pastor Andy, and uh, emailed him and said, hey, I know it's January 2nd. I know it's kind of inconvenience, but we'd love to have you come up and close out our series for us. And this brother was so gracious, and he was willing to do it, to fly on New Year's Day, to, you know, flying right now is a contact sport, if you haven't read in the newspaper on TV. What newspaper? What is a newspaper? Um, my wife is going to shoot me for that one. She says, sometimes you sound so old. Um, but you'd, flying is tough and COVID and everything else. But Andy was willing to come from Nashville. He was amazing at our first service. I know you'll be amazed because he's literally going to take us to the stars. So will you give Pastor Andy a big Cleveland Garfield Memorial welcome? <laughs> go. Thank you. Can you come on here as well? Perfect. Thank you. I can sort of see you. Um, It is such an honor to be here. Um, I need to dive right in because, boy, I've got a a lot to say. Leah, where are you? Man, that was awesome. Awesome worship leading. Tremendous. Um, Something's got to break. I just, I love that song. I'm from Nashville. Send me that song. I'll find somebody for, to, to uh, take that someplace. Um, I feel like a waiter in a really good restaurant who, who is serving up this meal and, and the person who ate it goes, man, that's the best meal I ever had. And the waiter, if they're honest, goes, all I added was garnish. You know, all I did was serve the meal. The chef is the one who cooked the meal, planned the meal. And today I get to be the waiter and serve up a story that um, to me is, a, is an amazing uh, kind of a story. And um, I'm going to dive right into it.
So God had promised a Savior. Satan, as saying with something's got to break, and as Leah's talked, Satan hates that whole idea, hated that whole idea from day one, and he was watching Israel. Then in 1000 BC, nowhere near Israel, an angel appeared, and a man came stumbling out of the hills with an amazing story. This is a story about narrow escapes, signs in the night sky, mystical visitors, um, centuries-old contests between God and Satan with lots of players, but you know who the, who the main ones are. All of mankind hanging on a star, but stop the music. Is this even a true story? That's the question. I was... Um, there we go. I was uh, heading through the Lincoln Tunnel in 2010 from the Jersey side, and I saw this billboard, and it, it kind of ticked me off, because it's like, really? Um, why would they go after this? Of course, the Catholics quickly put up that on the New York side. You know it's real. And, and there's the conflict. You know it's a myth. You know it's real. You know it's a myth. You know it's real. And... Um, it, it was like, Andy, get over it. That was, you know, years ago. Um, you just need to move on. Except I was in Albuquerque in 2017, and there it is again, now with fake news. And, and I asked myself, whoop. Ah, fat thumbs. Um, if this story is fake news, why would the atheists go after this story? Why would they want this one to be fake news? Because if they went after Jesus, people would rebel. But if they could show that this story was fake, there's something called meta-knowledge. And meta-knowledge is, is what do you know about what you know? You come home, there's something good smelling coming from the kitchen. There's all kinds of things you know about what's going to happen at dinner that night. A uh, child comes in and they look sad and they got a cut. You know, you know a whole lot of things have happened. Well, in the same way, the atheist said, if we can portray and show this story as fake, the next question people will ask is, what else is fake? Well, if this is fake, maybe, maybe the resurrection's fake. Healing of the, uh, the you know, feeding of the five thousand, healing of the left. Maybe, and, and if you follow the path of liberal theology, that is the path that's taken. Where now miracles... We know miracles didn't really happen. They have followed this path. And I thought to myself, but if this is real, well, 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 what else is real? And I thought, I wonder, I wonder if there's something out there that can prove that, that this is real. I mean, surely somebody's gone through this. And so I'm going to take you on a CSI Bethlehem. We are going to ask hard questions about this story. And we're going to find hard answers about this story. Uh, I'm not presenting it to you because I think it's fake, okay? So let me just give away my conclusion right at the beginning. But we're going to be CSI Bethlehem. That's me. That's you right there. We're, we're going to be the crime investigation team. And here's a story we've all heard, okay? Uh, three, we, three kings, from Orient are bearing gifts. And if you're a Catholic kid like I was, then you made up really bad lyrics that the nuns would swat you with the ruler over. But anyway... Followed a star from somewhere in the east. It stops over a stable in Bethlehem. 
They give their gifts. Herod tries to kill the child. They all flee. End of story. And they follow the star. And you go, well, that does sound kind of fake. I mean, if you're, I'm a science guy, and you go, that, that really does sound kind of fake. I could see where you would go after that story. So let's um, do a little background. So I thought to myself, okay, lots of ideas out there. I was on the road a lot at this point in my life. And so I, I would buy every book I could find. Amazon wasn't a big deal back then, but I went to a lot of bookstores and a lot of universities. And so I started to read things. And there is a lot of stuff written out there, lots of PhD dissertations, on and on. But in every single one of them, so I'm an amateur astronomer. We actually built our house to align with the ecliptic so my telescope out the bedroom window could follow the stars. The North Star sits right at the peak of our house when you stand on our well covering. I mean, I'm that guy. Okay, sorry. But I thought to myself, every single one of these stories has a fatal flaw, a cultural flaw. It doesn't work that way, flaw. A geometric, no, stars don't do, you know. Every single one of them had a flaw. And I thought, that's crazy. What would explain everything? And that was the last one I read. Aliens, if you don't have a better idea, you invoke aliens. And I thought to myself, well, can, can we, let's just clear the table. And, and every one of those books began to neglect the story itself in Scripture. I have a really high view of Scripture. I just, I think every word, there's something, because I have a really high view of the Spirit behind Scripture. And God says, I'm watching over my word to perform it. And I said, okay, let's look at this story really, really carefully and see if we can construct not just a plausible, but a very, very realistic way that that could have happened. So we're going to be asking some hard questions when police uh, uh, try to figure out what's going on. they, They ask these questions. Can it be independently verified? Has the person said something? Like, is there something in Scripture where they say something and it implies a whole bunch of things they couldn't have known? It's kind of like the cops say, so, you know, what was the, what was the guy who held up the store? Like, well, he, he had, a, uh, you know, he had, a, he had a, a skeleton tattoo on his neck. I don't know what that means. And you go, okay, he's from that gang. See, and so he said something that proves the story was real because he said something there's no idea that he knew what he's saying. So can we construct a story that is absolutely plausible? So we're going to go there. So we're going to start with a quick orientation of the crime scene. This picture has been called the most important picture ever taken. The Hubble, some guy took his 10 hours of Hubble time, pointed at a space in the sky no bigger than a grain of sand on your, at your fingertip. That's what that is. That is a grain of sand at your fingertip stretch of the heavens. Every one of those smudges is a galaxy. That shocked scientists. He pointed at the darkest spot of the sky, thinking he'd see a few things. That's what he saw. When you extrapolate, there's 200 billion galaxies, 300 sextillion stars out there. And Scripture says God counts all the stars and calls them all names. I don't, you know, it's like I'd number them, God, but God has names for all of them somehow. And he says, I am the Lord, and I stretched all these things out. If we were aliens and pointing our telescope at one of those specks, one of those specks would turn out to be our Milky Way. And our Milky Way is somewhere around 100 billion stars, just in our speck. One of, one of 200 billion specks has 100 billion stars. And somewhere around 11 billion stars that are probably the right distance from Earth and the right size that they maybe could support life. 11 billion of them. 
and you think, man, that's awesome. We should go visit them. Um, the problem is things are really big in space. Our Milky Way is 100,000 light years, and for you, you might go, whoa, what in the world is that? So let me put it this way. If you traveled at the speed of light from there to there, it would take you 4,000 generations to get to the other side. At the speed of light, it's huge. The nearest star to us, Proxima Centauri, if you traveled at 100,000 miles an hour, which is about twice the speed the Mariner things are leaving our solar system, at 100,000 miles an hour, it would take you 29,000 years to get to the nearest star. The immensity of God who looks down on the stars from where he is and calls them all by name is indescribably immense. And yet, somehow he's concerned about us. We're here in Pepper Pike. That's us. We're right there. We're, we're sitting kind of, a, kind of a nice little place to, to be in our, our little... Uh, and, and this is what our little speck looks like. Um, you have uh, Mercury, Venus, Earth. Uh, everything is, is, should be going around now, but it's not. Can you help me there? Are we locked up? Hello. <clears throat> well, uh, tell you what, we're going to skip that. I think we got some video problems. Basically, what that showed is that everything goes around in a plane, in a flat plane, and and as as we as we we're spinning like this. Okay, see now I'm illustrating. You kids are going to love this. Then he falls off the stage. Um, and, and as we turn toward the darkness, we see a different constellation. Next time we spin around, it's like we see this constellation, and then this one, and this one, and this one, and this one. And 365.24634 days, we're back to where we started again. And we've seen all of the constellations and all the stars outward looking in the plane of the ecliptic. And then there's all kinds of other stars too, but, but the really, it's there. And those are the constellations we've named and the stars we've named. And those are called the signs of the zodiac. And God is not afraid of the signs of the zodiac. In fact, you can see the, those things happening all through scripture. Okay, now I'm, now I'm really gone. Hello? Help me. I could just wing it, but it wouldn't be near as fun. Okay. Move me forward. Sorry, guys. Where was I? Talking about constellations. So, well, there we are. Okay. Maybe the video, just take it one slide forward, please. Okay, so God says he has two purposes for the heavens. The first one is to show his glory. And God says, the heavens show who I am. It's hard to go out on a dark enough night to really see it. We live way out in the country, uh, outside, way outside of Nashville. And uh, we can still look up and just go, Wow. You know, our, our kids come out of the city, our grandkids, and, and still they're running around and they say, stop, we'll turn off all the lights. And they go, Grandpa, Andy, look at all... It's, see, that's what God wants for us, is to be amazed and also to tell his story. God said, the heavens are for signs and for seasons, 
days and for years. We know the days and years. We know the months. We know we see this constellation this month, if you pay attention to any of that stuff. But this is an interesting one. Signs and epochs, those are two, like there's a sign that says Garfield Memorial. The sign isn't Garfield Memorial, but it points to something greater. And God said there will be signs in the heaven that will point to something greater. They themselves aren't great, but they point to something greater. And Jesus said, when I come back, there'll be signs. How many of us go, yeah, I think I know what those signs might be. I'm, I'm like a wise man. I'm watching. None of us are. <laughs> I'm not. And I, I like should be. And I'm not. I, I'm not sure what to look for. But Jesus said, there will be signs before I come back. So you're not going to be surprised. Satan, who hates this whole thing. Uh, remember what, uh, I love what, what Leo was saying earlier, that this is a conflict between dark and light. We sometimes see it as a conflict between a landlord and a renter, or a boss and an employee, or somebody who pulled me away. But it, at the end of the day, it's a conflict between dark and light. It's a conflict between Satan, who hates our guts, because we love the Lord, and we're children, and we sit on the throne room, and he doesn't. And God, who is our Father, who said, you can call me a lot of names, my favorite name is call me Pops. Call me Abba. Call me Dad. I want you to come boldly into the throne room. You don't have to knock. That's our God. And Satan hates the whole thing. And so he tries to steal his glory. And so he says, there is no God. There's just a big bang. They're just signs. They're, but, you know, they don't have good answers for a lot of things. But they'll say that. Why? Because we cannot give God the glory. And Satan can choreograph that. And I'm just like saying signs is bad. What I'm saying is Satan can use it to choreograph there is no God. There is a vast growth of that belief that there is no God happening right now in the millennial generation. It, it's it's crazy how fast it's happening. The other thing Satan says is, okay, if I can't get you with this one, let me take it to the other extreme. And you know what the stars tell your story? Have you read your horoscope today? They tell your story. They, they tell who you are. They, it's like every human born on January 5th has the same story, but don't go there, okay? So the stars tell your story. And these are the two lies, the two counterfeit purposes. And that's the struggle that goes on around us. So what are the theories about the star names? This is what Josephus said. God named the stars. Adam named the animals. Easier job. God told Seth and Enoch, Enoch's one who walked with God and still sits in the council of heaven. Abraham, who was a Chaldean, who were the star masters, went to Egypt. Josephus says he communicated all the star lore. And because Egypt then spread everywhere, the star lore spread. And it became like a game of telephone where, you know, the one at the end never says what the first one said. And that's what happened with the stars. And so we see just a whole bunch of weird names come in for the stars. There's one where the original name was um, the virgin with the chosen son on her lap. This is found in an Egyptian kind of a pyramids-like structure, but not the pyramids, that was built in 3,000 3, years ago, way before Christ. The Egyptians had a constellation that's called the Virgin with the Desired Son. What? That, that was the name that God gave it. Now it's called two things, the hunting dogs and the hair of Bernice. The chosen son and the virgin 
the hunting dogs and the hair of Bernice. You can see, you can, kind of like, really? It must be really good hair. You know, it must, somehow it's up there. Um, and so they, 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 so we can't trust the names now except to look at the old original names. But we can still trust God's story. And so let's dive right into that story now. So here it is. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, so sometime after he was born, it's not right when he was born. So they didn't go to the stable. Why? Because it was sometime after he was born. Magi from the east doesn't say who they are, just says Magi, which means they probably knew that term. It's like if we said um, astronauts from NASA, we wouldn't have to say, now an astronaut is not, we wouldn't have to say that, okay? So they didn't have to say that about Magi. They knew who they were. They arrived in Jerusalem saying, now check this, where is he who's been born king of the Jews for we saw his star in the rising, and we've come to worship him. Now, if you were a forensic person asking questions, that would just raise all kinds of questions. Where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? Now, who, who is listening to this? Herod, the king of the Jews, right? They, they thought there was going to be a party going on. They thought everybody would be celebrating the birth of this king. Were they surprised? Where is he who's been born king of the Jews? How do they know he's king of the Jews? These aren't Jews. How do they know he's the king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the rising. How did they know it was, I mean, there's all, how did they know it was his star? What is in the rising? And, and worship. They didn't worship any kings. They worked with kings every day, all day, intimately with kings and rulers all across Persia. And they didn't worship a single one of them. And yet they've come to worship this one. There's a million questions. So let's, uh, let's ask some questions about that and see what's going on. Okay, so a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, um, on the morning of August 12th, 3 BC, just before sunrise, somewhere in Persia... A strange one in 400 years conjunction occurs between the two brightest planets in the heavens, Venus and Jupiter. It was called In the Rising. It happened just, it was the last star you see before the sun comes up. And those were called, the, this thing, genealogic birth signs. Every king wanted a star just before the sun came up. That was called his star. Okay. Now, the star, if you think of a roulette wheel, the stars are all fixed in heaven. They, they don't change. They, they're fixed. But the planets are bouncing around in the heavens. And so the planets were the pointers and the signs. So when they say we saw a star, planets were called wandering stars back then. And so everybody wanted to know, well, what, what were the planets doing when I was born? Okay. So... <clears throat> Jesus, so the, the Magi had special skills in this area. They saw this happening on that morning, the brightest thing in the heavens. This is a close-up, but if you look that even through binoculars, it's like one big blinking traffic light in the heavens. That, that, they, they were like, whoa, okay. Once in four, they'd never seen it in their lives, once in 400 years. Jesus calls himself the morning star three times, which is the name for Venus. Jupiter is called the king star. So you have the morning star and the king star coming together. And the wise men are saying, that's it. That's it. Now, who were these guys? Oh, let's see if this is going to work. I don't have high hopes. Okay. Well, uh, don't mess with it and, and uh, 
maybe it is working. Nah. So here, here we have Jupiter, Venus, and Earth in alignment right there. And so they're sitting on Earth, and Venus and Jupiter are just like this. So Venus is always close to the sun. So you only see Venus in the morning or in the evening, just before sunset or sunrise. Jupiter pokes along at an incredibly slow five years around. Um, Venus goes faster than Earth. So this is what they saw. I'm sorry I can't show you. I have a great animation, but apparently it's not working. So anyway, what they saw in the sunrise was Venus, Jupiter, Venus, Jupiter, right on top of each other, and then the sun comes up, and then it's gone. And so they are thinking, this is the guy. So who are these stargazers? Now, if you think about Jedi and Magi, you're not far off. Just like the Magi were kind of wizards, these guys were thought to be kind of wizards too. They, they could interpret the stars. They were expert mathematicians. They could predict what was going to happen in the heavens. They would advise kings. Every king all across Persia had the Magi to advise him. They were Medes, which was a tribe that conquered and then was conquered. The Medes, the Persians, the Babylonians kind of did this trading of power over those years. But they were Medes, mathematicians, Persians, elsewhere. Um, They were respected mystical advisors. In fact, Philo, who was a a Jewish-Greek writer after right around Paul's time, said that they were greatly admired, greatly honest people. Um, and, and they knew who they were. Some of them, when they visited Rome, there's actually a parade for them, that Rome themselves did a parade for them. Um, they were followed, remember that camel herder right at the beginning? I said a camel herder came out of the mountains and he'd seen an angel. They were followers of that camel herder who is Zoroaster. Zoroaster said, I saw an angel. This is actually their symbol of Zoroasterism. The, uh, the, uh, picture of the angel. <clears throat> and Zoroaster taught uh, a lot of things. He said, think good thoughts, speak good words, do good deeds, until the coming of a savior, a sasashant or something like that. I'm not pronouncing it right. But he said, there will be a 15-year-old virgin. This is Zoroaster now. Not a, not a Christian. <laughs> this is Zoroaster, a Persian, you know, an Afghan camel herder. And he said, there will be a 15-year-old virgin who will bear a child who at the age of 30 will usher in a new age. That's in their writings. The Zoroastrians believed that and followed that. The second thing that is weird, and so, so that angel, that busy angel did that. Then here we have Daniel. Daniel was the chief of the Magi. They, they didn't like him. Then they said, okay, he, he's hearing. That same angel says to Daniel, uh, right there, he says, there will be seven and 62 weeks from the decree to rebuild Jerusalem until the appearance of the Messiah. So we know when the decree was, 458 or 445, depending on who you listen to. And if you count forward 69 weeks of years, you are landing on the day that the wise men are looking for the star. See, they didn't just go out every morning for 100 years. They went out because they said, he's coming. The chief of the Magi said it would happen at this time. And they said, and at 30, he'll be revealed. So if we count back 30 years from Daniel, 
will be spot on to when he's born. Okay? Count back 30 years. And so they're looking, but nobody else is looking, even though they all have this, because they still think it's 30 years away. Because they think it's the birth. The wise men go, no. It's when he's 30 he's going to appear. He's not going to appear till he's 30. He'll be, no one will know him until he's 30. And so they count back and they're looking. They see the star and bam, they're on the road. Um, I'm going to skip these. Some other interesting things happen, but I think I'm going to skip through some of these. Um, I do want to get to this one, though. So there was, a, there was another conjunction right here. Jupiter and Regulus go into this super tight King of Kings conjunction on uh, this day, 9-11, the Feast of Trumpets. There's a lot of other reasons to think this was the exact birthday of Jesus, but my favorite reason is this. This is John, and he is talking about a woman who gave birth to his son, and it's clearly the birth of Jesus, but it's in Revelation, so how do you take prophecy? But if we look back and we say, what day would that be? Here is the sky on that day I just showed you, the Feast of Trumpets. A woman clothed in the sun, the moon at her feet, a crown of 12 stars over her head. This is what the sky looked like on the Feast of Trumpets and every Feast of Trumpets. And John said that's when the child is born. And when we look at that conjunction that probably caused them to come uh, of, of the king star and the king planet, we go, that might be it. That might be the day that he is born, 3 B.C., 9-11, 3 B.C. There, there are some other conjunctions that, that took place. So here's Venus and Jupiter coming together, and I probably won't get this one either, so let's just, let's just go past that one. There we go. Um, so there were two more conjunctions um, Jupiter actually went backwards in the sky and then forward in the sky. It's, it's called retrograde. And each time it went back past Regulus, the moon was there just that night. Then it went back and it came back again. And that night, the moon showed up just like that. That's it. That is a picture of the sky at that time. And that's a picture of the sky the second time. And the Magi at some point, the moon is the mother. If you look at what's called Vedic astrology, astrology, that didn't get changed by the Greeks. So India, Persia, the moon is always a picture of the mother. In fact, in India, it's called the Virgin Mary now, the, the sign of the moon. Again, I'm not making you astrologers, but what I'm saying is, is God used the heavens, and Satan tries to steal the heavens, so we don't see the glory and enjoy the story that God put in the heavens. Virgo, a virgin shall conceive and bear a child. The 12 signs take you right through the whole gospel story. Amazing, but we're not going to go there. So anyway, so here they are, third conjunction. So at some point, they are leaving. They're somewhere over here. They get on what's called the King's Highway. They travel for a few months, a couple months. Somewhere in May or June, they show up, and they're asking the question, where is he who's been born King of the Jews? When Herod heard this, he and all Jerusalem were troubled. He asked his advisors to come. They say, in Bethlehem. That's where the child is born. And, and Herod and all Jerusalem are troubled. Okay? Now, why is Herod and all Jerusalem troubled? Well, there's been a war going on for almost 200 years between the Parthians and the Romans. And they fought all through here. 
And so Israel went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth between the Parthians and the Roman Empire. Herod was first made Tetrarch or whatever he was called down there. And for the first 30 years, he had to flee to Rome because the Parthians had taken Israel. Israel loved the Parthians. They actually let the Israelis run the whole country. They didn't want to run the country. And then Rome came back and took it back over from the Parthians. So the Jews were really partial to the Parthians. So Herod was troubled because it would be like uh, like somebody from the Taliban coming to the White House and asking Biden or Trump or whoever the president is, who's the next, where's the next president? I mean, it was that shocking because Herod's title was King of the Jews, given to him by Caesar. The Magi come, who are potentially secret agents from the Parthian Empire, are coming and saying to Herod, where is the King of the Jews? And he goes, I'm the King of the Jews. So you can imagine Herod, who killed somebody every day, murdered two of his own sons, and you preached about that. He was a crazy man. And so he's like, we've got to kill this kid How come I didn't know he was here? How come none of you told me? Okay, you wise men, I'm going to send you to go find the child. And when you find him, let me know, because I want to worship him too. Now, at some point, they had already been warned by that angel, that busy angel, had already warned them that Herod was going to want to kill the child. So they say to themselves, we have to escape in the night, but we have to deliver the gifts. If we go right at dusk, then we'll give the gifts. Everybody will close their doors. They won't see us escape. We'll escape by another way, and we'll be fine. And that's their plan. So they're leaving at dusk, and as they're leaving, it says, the star which they had seen in the rising, now they're walking west. And the star that they had seen in the rising, as the sun goes down, there it is again. The exact, and I won't be able to show the movie, but the exact thing that they saw, Venus and Jupiter in conjunction once every 400 years, except this year, it was twice. And so they're seeing, so so Venus went around, well, the way you're looking, Venus went around, Jupiter poked along here, the Earth moved from here here around around to, well, Venus went around twice, to here, and now it lined up again, but on the nighttime side of the sun instead of the morning time of the sun. But the conjunction was even closer still. So they see the star, they rejoice exceedingly with great joy. Now, there's a problem, and every single book that is on it has this problem, and that Jerusalem to Bethlehem is that way, but you need to be following a star going that way while you're walking. And it doesn't work. And so people started making up things for Star Well, it was a spaceship. It was a comet. It, it, it didn't work for them. But the secret is given in Scripture. It says, Herod met secretly. And there's only one place Herod could meet secretly. History says this. The, the Greek Orthodox Christians say that's where the Magi were. In this place called the Herodium, which was that. He built that mountain so that no one, when he needed secrets, when he needed to feel safe, he went to the Herodium, surrounded by guards, and he was safe. That's where he met with the Magi. Well, interestingly enough, in God's infinite planning, the path from the Herodium to Bethlehem 
goes right along the ecliptic in exactly the right direction, and at dusk, they would have had about an hour walking as they watched the star that they saw in the east, now in the west, sinking down right over Bethlehem. Crazy how all the timing, everything, but wait, there's, but wait, there's more, um, how it all worked out. And so I won't be able to see this one either. Probably saving me the time. <laughs> anyway, this, this, this shows that, that the planets went around here, and so you have Earth, Venus, Jupiter, and now it's all lined up perfectly here. And I'll show you an animation of it sinking, but you, you can imagine it. So it's going down, it's bright, it's bright, it's bright. And as soon as it gets dark, you see Venus, Jupiter, the brightest thing in the sky, slowly sinking down. Now, how did they find the kid? Well, the shepherds found the kid. Herod thought he could find the kid. So we don't know if the star went down over the house. They were packed really close. Villages were really tight then. But they could have asked. The shepherds were out twice, uh, twice a year. They were out this night. They could have asked the shepherds. They could have asked any. Everybody knew the kid because everybody knew the shepherd's story. So they go into the house. Come on, baby. So they go into the house. They see the child and Mary's mother with them, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. They gave them the gold myrrh and frankincense, heaven and forewarned, they flee. Okay, so they walk into a house. Now, how would you know if this child was the son of God? Okay, you go into a hospital room, you're going, oh, I love your child. Oh, it's the son of God. Now, how, I mean, there's no talking donkeys, there's no angels, there's none of that. How would you know? The infinite wisdom of God set it up perfectly because when they talk to Mary they see something that Zoroaster saw they believed a 15 year old virgin would have a child who at the age of 30 would usher in a new age Isaiah spoke of a virgin birth they saw the mother as a heavenly sign they converse and they see that she is a 15-year-old virgin who had the same angelic encounter. They were warned by an angel to flee, so they, they were fresh from the encounter. And so they fall on their faces and they worship because he's the guy. He's the one. <clears throat> it says that they leave by another way. So here we are. The... Uh, the uh, wise men leave by something called the Via Maris. They go this way around instead of this way around, not on the King's Highway. And there was a full moon that night. You can't travel at night except this night because God planned everything in advance. That night there was a full moon. They could travel that night, just that night, you know, in a couple of days on either side. But if there'd been a new moon, pitch dark. They, they, their lives were in their hands. So they traveled... Herod, when he finds out he's been tricked, is enraged. He kills 20 or 30 children. Then the very next verse says Herod dies. It's like Satan will use people, and when he's done with them, he'll just kill them. I mean, he may try to attract you, try to attract Herod, but there's nothing that could be happening. So here we are. Um, I'm not going to go through these points, but the, the point I want to make is that in, in every single thing, every question I asked, the story fits perfectly. I don't violate anything in astronomy. I don't violate anything in culture, anything in history, 
anything in, in the geometry of the situation. The timing all works out perfectly. It, it, it fits when Herod lived and died. It fits when Jesus was born. It fits everything. The story is, 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 is a great story. And so there's the mic dropping. So in my, you know, it's, it's like, in my conclusion, this is great. Except I have one big question. And that big question is this. Why did this happen? I mean, it seems like the Magi caused the problem that they had to fix, right? If they hadn't showed up and blabbed to Herod, the child would have been safe. Everything would have been fine. So why was any of that important? Why did God talk to Zoroaster and, and tell him a, a 15-year-old virgin? Why did that happen? And, and I, I puzzled for five years. I forgot about it. One night I wake up with a gasp, and I go, oh, here's why I think that happened. So there's a, there's a real question. Is there a larger issue? Um, this is what the Magi's words did for Mary. Jesus at 12 was a brat. I, I, he was God, sorry, but he was a bratty God, okay? He, he wasn't ready. He said, look, at, he's, he's telling his mom, mom, you don't know, but I need to be about my father's business, so leave me alone. Look, he didn't even tell him he wasn't coming with him. I mean, that's a 12-year-old. <laughs> he was human. And, and Mary said, you're not 30. Why? She didn't know, wouldn't have known that 12 wasn't the right age, except the Magi said, at 30. At 30. At 30. The very next verse after that, when Jesus becomes obedient, he finishes his development. He grew in wisdom, stature, and favor before God and men. The very next verse. So here we are at 30. There's a wedding feast of Cana. Remember that one? Jesus is at the wedding feast. He's got some early followers at the wedding feast. Mary comes and says, Jesus, they're out of wine. And you can see him going, and that's my problem? Now, I'm making Jesus way more bratty. He probably said, woman was a term, uh, was a nice term. So he didn't say, woman. He just said, woman, what's that? You know, kind of like, what do you want me to do about that? And she goes, yeah. Do what he says, right? Why? Because she knows it's time. It's 30. He's ready. He maybe doesn't know he's ready. Look, he's been being a carpenter since birth till 30. And, and there's a reason because his father died and, and the oldest son has to stay till 30 to support the family. That, that's Jewish tradition if the father dies. And the very next verse is, these beginning of signs caused his disciples to believe in him. And you think to yourself, aha. For all of the other reasons the whole Magi story had to be true, this saved Christianity right here. This conversation. Jesus, the, the, the Pharisees saw that the kid was a genius. Every one of them would have wanted him as a disciple because he would have been the best disciple ever, making them the best teacher ever. Every one of them, they're probably vying for him. They were amazed at his intellect and at his wisdom at 12. And he was wanting to stay. This was his father's business, or so he thought. That was a perfect setup for Satan to, to lure Jesus into missing his calling. Premature responsibility breeds superficiality. 
He never would have been Jesus. And he was saved right then and there. So, let me just kind of close uh, by saying a couple things. Number one, the story fits perfectly into culture without... uh, Can you bring the music up a little bit, please? Thank you. Um, Perfectly into history and culture. Two, God knew everything that was going to happen just like he knows everything that is happening and going to happen. I love what Leah was talking about, the hard things we're going through. Look, God knows what you're going through. And just like he made provision for what was going to happen, he makes provision for us in our life. The other thing is that everybody in that story was obscure. God chooses obscure people to do things, and each of you has been chosen for something. Just the little things, the little faithfulness in your day, the faithfulness in relationships, those are important. You know, the, the guy who rented him the donkey, the Magi, Zoroaster, you know, everybody had this little role to play, and none of them knew what their role did to save all of mankind. They just didn't know. And none of us will know. And God says, look, be faithful in the little things. Just be faithful. You don't have to know the big picture. The other thing I love is that though God is the biggest thing in all of the universe and we're a speck on a dot on an atom on a molecule big, yet it says, I dwell in two places. I dwell in a high and holy place and I dwell with the meek and contrite of heart. Those are his two favorite places to live. We can't be the high and holy place, but we can be this one who's obedient, this one who knows there's a purpose. You are his workmanship, created for good works that he's prepared beforehand for you to walk in. Just do those things, and it doesn't have to be complicated. To me, the story is, I don't have to be important, I just need to be faithful. And when I get to heaven, I'll see the story, the story that's written for me as well. So, thank you very much. I appreciate it.